your Bibles at this time. Um, before, Did you push play yet? You did? Can, you can't stop it now, can you? All right, I'll tell you next week that we're cha- that I'm changing to a new King James uh, because the tr- recording already started. I won't waste the time on the spot. But if you need a Bible, open your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 27. <laughs> I, I know that. I See, I know that I have to get everything in before I say open your Bibles. It's too late at that point, you know. How many of you here tonight, just real quick survey, brought your Bible with you? Good. How many of you, again, and this is just, you're not, there's, there's no right or wrong answer to these questions. How many of you have an NIV Bible with you right now that you're following along or trying to follow along, rather, I should say? Okay. How many new King James? How many King James? Okay, a handful of King James. Okay. Well, for the sake of, uh, you know, clarity and unanimity as far as the Bibles we hand out and what's going on the screen and what you have. I know we're never all going to match up, but I have been persuaded uh, (laughs) to venture into this realm of getting away from thee and thus and thou and constraint and whatnot um, and to try this normal English language thing. Um, (laughs) And so I... I, I, I have a new King James tonight, and we'll see how this thing goes, you know, and that's all I can, can promise you. But, uh, but we're here. Everybody have a Bible that needs a Bible? Good. Now, if you are here tonight, and this is your first, first time at a Wednesday night service at Calvary Chapel, or this is your first time at Calvary Chapel, I need to say that here at Calvary Chapel, we go through the Bible. Line upon line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And tonight, in our venture to go through the Bible that way, we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. This would be a very awkward place to just have a random Bible study. To just say, oh, tonight, Lord put it on my heart, Deuteronomy 27. We're here because we go through the Bible, and we believe that that is a very healthy and helpful way to study the Scriptures, to go straight through. Now, I say that tonight, and I don't say that every night, because the section of Scripture that we're going through tonight is extremely difficult. It's one of the heaviest, most burdensome, if you would, as far as the weightiness of it, passages In all of the Old Testament, definitely in the book of Deuteronomy, perhaps in the whole Bible. And so I just want to kind of give you that forewarning um, to it. Now, we're going to talk about or or look at this section of Scripture, and we're going to see four things tonight. First of all, we're going to see a warning. We're going to hear Moses give a warning, first of all, to these people that he's speaking to, but also into the future generations of those that would walk with the Lord and hear his word. And so we're going to hear a warning. We're also going to hear a prophecy as we discern and discover that the things that Moses is warning them about are things that are going to happen to them. And so it's a prophecy of what their future will be. It is also, number three, history. Because we are looking back on all of those things that happened to them, and we discover then that they are historically true, that the things that Moses says to them, that they would happen, that they did happen. So it's a lesson in history. And finally, it is a lesson in today's newspaper. That as we look at these things, and then we look at what's going on around us in our society and in our world, what we discover is, well, we discover that we are living in the very thing that Moses wrote to them so many years ago. And it's for that reason that this study is quite heavy. Now, I wish, I so wish, and I, and, and, and I mean this from, from my heart, I so wish that tonight's message was of the positive, uplifting, encouraging, refreshing. And I mean that sincerely because I sense that that's what we need. We're the people of God and we're living in days that are perplexed, you know, and there's trouble, there's toil. Many of us are in the fire and in the trial and the world isn't going the same direction we're going. And, and I see it. I see it in your faces and I hear it in our conversations and, and I know that, that, that life is not easy. 
And so to give a study like this can, can almost be like adding insult to injury in a sense. Uh, and I know the need that we have to be uplifted. And it, there is hope. I, I know that I'm, you're kind of like wishing you didn't come or, you, you know, you want to kind of sneak out or something. But there is hope in, in the thing. But I'm just saying it to you because it's God's word. And the more I studied this passage this week, the more I realize how fitting it is to the days that we're in. And how necessary it is for us, the people of God, to hear this. And to, to honestly look at ourselves and our society in the light of what God's word says. And, and, and take it for what it is. Bear the weight of it, if you would. It's almost like if you discover that there's a tumor. You know, you wish that you didn't have to discover it. You wish it never happened. But once you know it's there, you, you got to... Go through the procedure and have it removed. And it might be a little painful. It might bleed a little bit. It might be distressing. But in the long run, it's good for you. And so, though it's maybe a little bit of a heavy study, uh, the Bible says that the blueness of a wound cleanses away evil. And so, though it might be a little bit uh, tough to hear some of the things I'm going to share tonight, please, uh, come back next week because it gets better, you know. But also, but also, I'm not apologizing for God's word. And what he says, he means. And it's important to us to take heed to the things that he says. Amen? Amen. So, Deuteronomy chapter 27. As we come to chapter 27, we are into the last leg, the final stretch of Moses' second sermon. You recall that the book of Deuteronomy is three sermons that were given by Moses in the last 30 days of his life. The second sermon is by far the longest of the three. It started way back in chapter 5, and it goes all the way up until the end of chapter 28. So the second sermon really is most of the book, what Moses has to say in that sermon. Now, the theme of the sermon. And the theme of all three of his sermons is obedience to God. The importance of being obedient to the word and to the will of God. That's the theme. That's what he's driving at. Now, the content of the second sermon has been what it is that we are to obey. Okay, we're supposed to obey God. But what is it? That God wants us to do. And that's what Moses has been going through. Chapter after chapter after chapter. As he reiterates the laws. The will. The ways of God to them. Verse by verse. Precept by precept. Through these chapters. He does that. From chapter 5. All the way to chapter 26. Where we left off last time. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Now, what he does in these last two chapters, chapter 27 and 28, is he now seeks to apply it. And that's what you do in a sermon. You basically, you go through your content, you look at what it is that you're studying, and then you apply it to the life of the audience. How does this apply to me? And that's what Moses is going to do now. Now, after hearing everything that Moses had to say for the past several chapters about what we're to do, The obvious question that would arise in the heart of the hearer, the person who's listening to Moses speaking, would be, as would naturally be, okay, what do I get if I do obey, and what happens if I don't, right? I mean, that's the way any child is with the parent, right? When the parent is going through and saying, this is the way it is, son, or this is the way it is, daughter. In their mind, they're listening, they're taking it in, but what they're waiting for is, okay, what do I get if I do what you're telling me, and what's the penalty if I don't? And so that's the question that Moses answers in these two chapters. In chapter 27, he does it by using an illustration, We like illustrations, picture books. The Bible is a great big picture book. Did you know that? God paints pictures for us. He gives us things that we can understand and apply to what our surroundings are to help us understand. So 27, it's a picture. It's an illustration of the the, the purpose, the point of where we're going, of what this means. And then chapter 28 is direct, pointed 
descriptive, specific application answer to the question, what happens if I do? What happens if I don't? And so we begin in chapter 27 with the illustration of what happens if I obey or what happens if I don't obey. And so uh, we're in Deuteronomy 27, verse 1. And here we go, Moses. It says, Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones, and whitewash them with lime, or paint them, literally, whitewash them, and they would use the lime that was, you know, a rich, abundant resource there in that area, that section. And so these stones, whitewashed, painted white with lime, in verse 3, and you shall write on them all the words of this law. When you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan, third time, that on Mount Ebal, you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, you shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build the whole, or I'm sorry, build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall offer peace offerings and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all the people of Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. So here's the scene. The scene is set there as they cross over the river. Three times he tells them, on the day, right when you cross over, when you come into the land, into that section, the first thing that you're to do is you're to go to Mount Ebal. Which, if they crossed right where Shechem was, where, where they were crossing, there, there would be two mountains right in front of them with a valley going right up the middle. On the north, the right-hand side would be Mount Ebal, the mount that he mentions there in those opening verses. And then just to the south of it, right on the other side of the valley, would be Mount Gerizim. So, so you would see these two mountains. And the first thing they were to do was to come into the land. And right there on Mount Ebal, they were to take stones, whitewash them, and write the law, write the word put the word of God right there in plain sight and establish it, set it up as a monument that the word of God is to be the constitution of this land. Secondly, they're to build an altar. Not ornate, not architectural, but just of stones that they find out there in the field. They're to pile them up and that's to be the place where the sacrifice, the offering is to be made, the atonement, if you would. And so he tells them, when you go in, this is what you're to do. And he tells them, you're to do it immediately. Well, that's the scene, the backdrop of this illustration that he's presenting to them. Now comes the action. What do we do now that we've set up these stones, we've erected this altar, we're there at the base of those mountains? What do we do now? He goes on, verse 11. And it says, And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. That is, those six tribes and all of the people represented in them will go up Mount Gerizim, the mountain that's to the south of this valley. 
And then, verse 13, And these shall stand on Mount Ebal, the mountain to the north, to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites then shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, and then from verse 15 all the way down to verse 26, he repeats 12, listen, 12 curses that will come upon the children of Israel if they fail to obey and take heed to the things that God has said. I won't read through the verses, but these are the curses. Verse 15, if anyone makes a carved or a molded image. In verse 16, if anyone curses his father or his mother, treats them with contempt. In verse 17, one who moves his his neighbor's landmark or changes the boundary of the field. Verse 18, one who causes the blind to wander off the road. Verse 19, one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Verse 20, one who lies with his father's wife, his stepmother. Verse 21, one who lies with any kind of animal. Verse 22, one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, the daughter of his mother. Verse 23, one who lies with his mother-in-law. Verse 24, one who attacks his neighbor secretly. Verse 25, one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. And verse 26, anyone who refuses to confirm all the words of this law, that it means the whole book, everything that Moses has said, by observing them and doing them. And it says that all the people shall say, after each curse is pronounced, all the people will say, Amen. That is, that they're to give their so be it, or their ratification to the fact that those curses will come if those behaviors are breached, if those things are undone. So if you can imagine being there with three million strong in the congregation, including the women and the children, and they cross over the Jordan River, and they set up the stones, and they erect the altar, and then what, what you would see from a bird's eye view is that you would see half of the people going one direction to the north. And then you would see half of the people going to the south in another direction. And, and they would be on these two mountains. And, and then you would hear the strength of the resolve of this law of God's word, of God's will being thundered. And you would hear the amen of the people as the curses are then being pronounced. And what this was, was for them an illustration of what happens if you obey God's word or if you disobey. See, what they would see is they would see people going one of two ways. You would either be going this way or you would be going that way. And if you were going this way, there would be blessing. Those that were on Mount Gerizim, they were there to bless and there was blessing for those that took heed to the word of God. And, and then those that went this way, there was cursing. Cursing for those that failed to heed the word of God. And here's the application. It's very simple, but they needed drama to understand it. That's how, you know, that, that's not just them. That's us. We, we need it from every way. And so God orchestrates this whole drama to illustrate the point to his people. Look, 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 this is real simple. This is so simple. Anyone can understand this. Here it is, is that you have two choices. You can do what God says, and you're going to be blessed. God's going to prosper you, favor you. You're going to succeed and do well, and everything in your life is just going to flow. Or you could choose to disobey God. You could say, I want to go my own way. I don't want to do what he says. I don't want to give myself to his, his boundaries and, and what he's telling me. I just want to do my own thing. And he says, and this is what's going to happen to you, and there will be a curse upon your life. And it's a very simple illustration. It's a very simple application. Now, you know what's amazing to me? Three times in these opening verses, he tells them, on the day that you cross over, When you go in, first thing before anything else, this is what you're to do. Guess what? They didn't do it. (laughs) They didn't do the very thing that was kind of number one in all of what Moses was taking all of this time to establish. They didn't do it. 
They did eventually do it. But do you know when they did it? When they failed. They went to Jericho and and they kind of tested the waters a little bit. They said, well, if we don't do what God says, what's going to happen to us? And so they go to Jericho. The walls fall down. They take the city. Everything goes well. Well, guess what? They go to city number two, Ai. They're just going to continue with the conquest. They go to Ai and they get their tail tucked. And, and, And some men lose their lives. And the people's hearts faint a little bit. And they start to say, what gives? God promised victory, and here we're experiencing defeat. What's going on? And, and there's more to the story. We'll get there when we get into Joshua. But from there, Joshua, who was the leader by that time, Joshua said, look, there's something we forgot to do. Yeah, AI, yeah, it was a disaster. There was Achan. There was sin in the camp. There was other issues, things going on. But we failed. We failed because we didn't do what God said. And so in Joshua chapter 8, it should have been in chapter 1, but in Joshua chapter 8, he says, we need to get to Mount Ebal. And he goes there and he takes the people and they go through this thing that God said. And it says that Joshua, from that point, did not fail to do all that God commanded. And he kept it to a T because he realized this is serious. This means business. Why is it that it takes us until tragedy comes, until trials come in our life, for us to just simply obey the things that we know God is calling us to do? Why are we like that? We're all like that. We all do that. I don't. Maybe you don't. I know I do. We were blessed this year to uh, get a tax return. You know. And, you know, the, the tax return, for the most part, in these days, and I don't know the ins and outs of what's, you know, political in this and all, but most, for the most part, our tax return is because we have kids, a lot of them. And what that means is that I didn't get a tax return really on taxes that I paid, but rather on a credit that you get for having kids in, in, in our country, okay? So here's, here's the point why I say that. I didn't earn that money. So when that tax return came in, there was a still small voice in, in there, the spirit said, actually it was my wife. <laughs> We're going to tithe on that, right? And I said, the net or the gross? You know what? A... And I said, you know, and of course I can't miss a beat. Of course we're going to tithe on it, honey. And I said, okay, all right, okay, all right. But here's what I did. I said, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Lord, I'm going to do it. But I waited. And a couple of days go by, and then a week, and then two weeks. Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. And, 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 you know, tax return money always is, you know, for us, home improvement. You know, so I got the door I was supposed to get and, you know, start doing some. I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Well, Sunday morning, this is two weeks ago. My wife comes downstairs, and I'm always up before my wife, you know. It's, you know and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm drinking coffee. And she says, uh, she goes, I don't mean to trouble you, but there's no water you know, turn on the faucet and there's nothing coming out. And so I said, oh, no, I know, I know what happened. I know. So I go down in the basement, and sure enough, where the well line comes into the basement from the well pump, it had popped, severed from the connection to that blue tank, you know, the expansion tank. If you have a well, you know what I'm talking about. It did it while the well pump was on. Now, now, if you know anything about wells, that means that, that, you know, that little gauge that you see on the thing, that's what tells your well pump to turn off. Well, it couldn't get to the gauge because it was pouring into my basement, you see. So I, I don't know how many hundreds of gallons were pumped from the well into the basement, you know, over that night. But I, but I went downstairs and I saw it. And, and, you know, the first thing you do is you start cleaning up. The second thing you do is you say, Lord, why? I didn't say, Lord, why? You see, I knew why, you know. Guess what I did that Sunday, that day? (laughs) See, we're thick. We know what we're supposed to do, but we say, well, let me see what happens if I don't do it. 
and, and then, but now, now let me say that. Let me, because I listen. We're not under the law. The, the, I'm not laying a trip on you about the, that. Was for me. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart through my wife. Same thing, you know. And 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 that was. But but here here and and also I'll say this: as I suffered zero damage, it took me a few hours, and nothing was lost as far as like permanent. So it cost me nothing. It was just it was a gentle reminder from the Lord that I was not doing something that He had told me to do. How many times in our life does that happen? The Spirit of God speaks into our life, and He says, "When are you going to start teaching your kids the Bible?" diligently with priority and cutting away time in your schedule. I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm going to do it. And it isn't until we start to see things happening in their lives that we see as bad fruit, that which they're getting from somewhere else. And then we say, oh, oh, no, how did this happen? How did they get like that? Or certain things, the Lord speaks to us and he says, get serious about your spiritual life. And it isn't until we get into some trouble or some tragedy or some trial that comes upon us because we're walking in the wrong direction that then we say, Lord, now I'll do it. I'm going to do it, Lord. Listen, he wants what's good for us. He gives them this illustration. He says, if you go this way, it's going to go well with you. Guaranteed. It's not maybe. It's not the odds are in your favor. If you do what you know you're supposed to do, you're going to do well. And if you go your own way, if you forsake what you know you're supposed to do, or you do things you know you're not supposed to do, it's going to be a curse to you. It's so simple. He lays it right out for us. Well, they say, okay, we see the illustration. We get the point. There's blessing over here. There's curse over there. But Moses, what's going to happen? I mean, what does a blessing look like? And what does a curse look like? What's going to happen if I do obey God? And what will happen to me if I don't? And so Moses now in chapter 28 gets real candid. He gets really specific with them. And basically he breaks it down into two sections. Number one, the blessings. 14 verses. This is the longest chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, by the way. It's the equivalent of three other chapters. So we have to move, you know. But only the first 14 verses highlight the blessings. And, oh, don't think that that means that you're shortchanged on them. They are rich and they are abundant. Wonderful. Then verses 15 through 68 is the curses. And so, and so he begins right here in verse 28 to now explain to them clearly, applying everything that he has said to their lives personally. He says this. He says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, I love that word, overtake, because in my mind, it paints a perfect picture of, you ever been in the ocean, and and you see that wave coming, and and you know maybe it's a little bit too powerful for you, you know? And so you're kind of like trying to get in, you're trying to get closer to the shore, you know, you're, you're off balance a little bit, and it's coming. And you know that you can't get out of the way fast enough, and that you begin to brace. You say, this thing's gonna hit me. That's the idea. He says that if you obey, You might not see it on the first day in the first moment, but believe me, there is a wave coming your way that will overwhelm you. It's going to overtake you. It's going to blow your mind what you're going to see me do. And then he begins to explain to them what that looks like. Verse 3. He says, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. You're going to be blessed locationally. That is, wherever you are, the blessing will not be according to the place, it will be according to you. In other words, if you're in the city, you're going to be blessed. If you're in the country, you're going to be blessed. Wherever you are, the blessing is going to be with you and location will not be a factor. Wherever you are, that's where the blessing will be because that's where you are. Verse 4, he says, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. You will be blessed in productivity. You will be productive. You're going to lead a productive life. 
you're constantly going to be on the increase as far as what you're producing and also your capacity to produce. Your ability to go above and beyond what you had previously. You're constantly going to be on the increase in what it is that you experience and what you have. Verse 5. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Your provision. What is your basket and your kneading bowl? It's your refrigerator and your cupboard. You're always going to have enough of what you need. Your fridge will be full. Your cupboard will be full. You're always going to, when you're looking for a snack, you'll go for it and it'll be there. And you'll say, wow, look at the abundance of what the Lord has provided. Your, your, bless, your uh, basket and your kneading bowl. Then verse 6, blessed shall you be when you come in. And blessed shall you be when you go out. In other words, in the morning, when it's time to go to work, when you're going out for the day to do what it is that you do, your commerce, your business, you're going to say, I love this. I want, I'm so happy with, with what I get to do, with, with all the things that are going on in my life. And then, at the same token, when you come home, you'll say, oh, it's the end of the day? How did, I, how did that happen? It, it, it flew right by. And then you'll say, oh, yeah, I get to go home. I get to see my wife. I get to see my kids. I get to, to, to chill out and enjoy my basket and my kneading bowl, you know, my fridge and my cup. This is awesome. And you're just going to be blessed. Your morning, your evening, your work, your home. Then he says, verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. That is your battles. Those conflicts, those issues that you have in your life, if you're in the Lord's will, he's going to be the one that fights those battles on your behalf. And you're not going to have to lift a finger. He's going to take care of the issues that you have. He's going to fight for you. Verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The storehouse would be the equivalent to your bank account. Where do you keep what is left over? That's your bank. You're going to see a constant increase. There's always going to be plenty. There's going to be enough in there. The Lord is going to bless you. Verse 9. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you that is he's going to bless you in your reputation your reputation is going to be held in such high esteem that people are going to look at your life and they're going to say we can tell that the lord is with them and there will be an awe an awareness of who is on your side who is helping you and god will cause the people that are around you to see that then verse 11, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. And so he gives them a summation of the blessing that God is going to place upon their life. And really, when you look at this list of things that God says that he will do, what more could you ask for? I mean, can you look at this list and say, Lord, yeah, I see that, but, you know, you could have sweetened the deal a little bit. I mean, he really covers all of it. This is a blessed existence. If you can sit here tonight and you can go down those verses and say, this describes my life, then you are a happy person. You are blessed. However, he goes on now. And there's a but. And, and, you know, I'll say this now instead of at the end, just in case I forget. The but in the New Testament is completely the opposite as the but in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he says, well, this is what's going to happen if you do good, but... And then you get this. In the New Testament, it's the exact opposite. 
Over and over again in the New Testament, we read Paul and he says, you were aliens and strangers from the covenants and promises of God, but now in Christ Jesus, you are blessed. Over and over again, he says that, that you were this, but now you are in Christ Jesus. And it's complete the opposite, you know. But now he gets into what will happen, the curses that will happen if they are to disobey. And this is important for us. If we were writing the Bible or if man was writing the Bible, he would not have put this section in it. But this is a very real aspect of the character and the nature of God. We like the, you know, the love, the grace, the peace, the truth, the kindness, the richness. We, we love those things, but somehow we kind of negate the other side of God where he says, I'm a God of wrath and I'm a God of jealousy and I'm a God who will judge and will chastise. And it's important for us as Christians not to create a God in our image that we know and love, but rather to see what he says about himself and to take heed to the warnings that he gives, not just to them then, but also to us now. He gives them these curses, and here's the point of all of this. He says, if you want to live a life apart from me, this is what that life is going to look like. Verse 15. He says, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Same word, it'll be a wave. And here's the problem with curses, is that it doesn't come the first day. Is it just like the blessing that's there and it will surely overtake you? So also it is with the curse. You say, hey, we've had great victory in Jericho. We're seeing the Lord move. He's doing great things in our life. It's okay that we're, we're doing some things that we're not supposed to or that we're not doing some things that we are because it won't, listen, it will overtake you. He says it will come. And then he describes what they are. Verse 16, he says, Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country is that you will have a spirit of discontent. Is that if you're in the city, you'll say, oh, my problems are because of where I am. I'm in the city. I need to be in the country. If I was out of this location, if I was somewhere else, then things would be going better for me. And and then you would go there, but you would find that the problem isn't with the location. The problem is with you. And, And you would go there and you would find that the same problem is also true. Verse 17, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Your provisions will dry up. Verse 18, cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks is that you'll find that your life is very non-productive, is that you're sowing much but reaping little. You're putting in a lot of effort, but it's just not coming back right. Something's wrong. Verse 19, cursed shall you be when you come in. And cursed shall you be when you go out. You'll go to work and you'll think, oh, I, I can't even stand the thought of having another work day, another day at this. I can't stand it. And then the end of the day will come and you'll be like, oh, I so don't want to go home. I, if I go home, oh, I got to hear this and I got to see that. And there's a hole in the wall and the car needs to be, and, and, and the oil, and, and all of these things. And, and you'll just say, in the morning, you'll say, oh, I don't want to go. In the evening, you say, oh, I don't want to go home. And there's just going to be this general, uh, you know, consternation. Verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. Is that your life will be compassed about with confusion and frustration. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, is that there will be health issues constantly. And then verse 23, and the heavens which are over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven. It shall come down on you until you are destroyed is that there will be no divine help. In those days, they depended upon the heavens for rain and of the earth to yield its fruit. And he says, it won't happen. You'll call out and you'll take for granted those things that come from me and you will not find them. 
Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. You're going to fall before your enemies. Rather than the Lord fighting your battles and helping you, you're going to find yourself being defeated by them. Verse 27, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt. I like the King James on that one. It says the botch. I don't know what that is. I don't want it. He says, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed, incurable diseases. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, mental illness. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You'll build a house, but you will not dwell in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have none to rescue them. You'll suffer physical, mental, emotional anguish and you'll watch your substance dissipate before your eyes and you'll never enjoy the fruit of your labor. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long and there shall be no strength in your hand. You'll watch your children walk away from me. You'll see them go astray. For them, it would be physical, literal. They'd be carried into captivity. For others, it would be spiritual. They'd watch their children absorbed into the cyclone of this world system and lost out there somewhere. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you've set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment. Instead of having a reputation that's admirable, you'll become a proverb and a byword among all the nations where the Lord will drive you. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for the olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours. They shall go into captivity. You won't enjoy your children. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. Your GDP will tank. And the alien who is among you shall rise, the illegal immigrant shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. You're going to watch your nation go into demise, into a tailspin. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. Okay, Moses, are you done? No. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and upon your descendants forever because you did not serve. Now listen to this. Listen carefully. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now listen, listen carefully to me. What he's saying to them is that your problems are not political. 
The problems that you're facing as a nation is not because of who you elected. It's not because of a lack of leadership. It's not because of corruption in the ranks. The problem is you didn't obey me, God says. The reason these things are happening to you is because of your relationship with me. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. They shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you uh, grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust. The walls didn't even exist yet when Moses was saying this. Will be given... uh, Sorry, I lost my place. They shall besiege you at all your gates throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the flesh of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you. Now listen to that. Did you hear it? I know you you get, you know, get on, hurry up. I put it on mute. I'm waiting for you to get to verse 68. Listen, listen to verse 53. He says, you shall eat the fruit of your own body. The flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, hostile towards the wife of his bosom and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. So that he will not give any of them the flesh of his own children whom he will eat. Because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. There'll be cruelty, brutality, viciousness, inhumane behaviors, insanity, eating their children. It would happen. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children, which she bears. For she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy will distress you at all your gates. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law, which are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Are you done, Moses? No, you, you, you start to sense why I didn't want to teach this tonight. You know, he goes on verses fifty-nine all the way down through sixty-five. He describes their total annihilation, and let's just read the last three verses, verse sixty-six. He says, "Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night, and have no assurance of life." In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart. And because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But no one will buy you. That's the end of the chapter. It's also the end of the sermon. Can you imagine being in the audience that day? The question is raised, what will happen if we do and if we don't? Moses gives the answer, closes his book, steps down from the pulpit, and leaves the people with that. No instruction, no word of encouragement. He lets the weight of what they heard lay upon them until the time that he would speak to them next. It's the end of it. Now, that encourages me a little, because it means not every sermon has to end on the upbeat, you know. Hopefully this one will a little bit, you know. I told you at the beginning that there were four things in this that we would look at. First of all, there would be a warning. And there was. He tells them very pointedly and very direct what would happen if they chose a life that would be lived apart from God. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't say, oh, it's going to be worse than you could ever imagine. No, he itemized it for them. And he laid it out and said, this is what it's going to look like. It was a warning. It's also a prophecy. Listen, 
Everything that Moses said would happen should they turn did happen to them, including the blessing. They were blessed. They sought the Lord. And when they sought the Lord, the Lord did, as the Lord said that he would. They were increased. They were prospered. They were blessed. But they took that blessing for granted. And as they turned away from the Lord, they also then had to endure the consequences of what happens when a people called by his name, turn their back on him and walk away. And so these things happen to them. To the very thing that he said, that a nation will come upon you as swift as an eagle, speaking ultimately of the Romans that would come in the second siege and wipe them out completely. God's word coming to pass exactly. It's not just prophecy foretelling, but for us, it's history. Because we look back at it and we see it. We say, this is what happened. They were called by his name. They forsook him. And we see the demise. We see the total annihilation of them. But God's faithful. He kept them. He preserved them. He didn't throw them off altogether, you know. But it happened. But it's also number four, and this is where it begins to hit close to home. It's also, it's also the headline in today's newspaper. You can take the the headings, the subtitles of these segments, these curses that were put upon them, you can hold them next to USA Today or the New York Times, and you can see item by item where these very things that God said would happen to that nation that had been called by his name but now was turning from him, how those very things are happening in this nation that is called by his name that should be rejoicing for all of the goodness that he has given, but instead we're forsaking, throwing him out of our borders as quickly and as viciously as we can. We see it in our standing amongst the nations of the world. We see it in our provisions as we're watching people suffer. 50% of, of the entire population right now is on some type of government assistance because they can't make ends meet. We see the provision in our country drying up. We see the well-being of our nation, the, the mental health. I, have, I, I just have a, a ton of newspaper articles here that I can't read to you because we don't have time. But this one is called, uh, is called Americans Are Snapping by the Millions. This is today's paper. And, and right now in the United States of America, this says, it says that suicide has surpassed car crashes as the leading cause of injury death in the United States of America. Suicide is the leading cause of death. We're watching our nation unravel soul by soul. People are buckling under the pressure of what's going on, the anguish of having no hope seeing what's going on around us in the world. Our families are faltering. We're watching the family be destroyed little by little. I saw an article today, I didn't print it up, but an article today that a judge in Florida is weighing the option of eliminating lifetime alimony payments. Meaning it's all that much more beneficial to you to get a divorce. It's the erosion of the family. God says your families will be cursed. The health of our nation. What's going on? Read, read. Look what's going on. Not just in the health of the people, but in the very system that's designed to address those needs. The crops, the madness, the poverty, the starvation, the captivity... All the things that he said that would happen to them, we see in our own midst, the things that happen. You say, Pastor Nick, you know, this is great sermon fodder, but we're not that bad. We're not that far gone. We're not eating our babies. I mean, we're not to that. No, we're not. Have you heard about Kermit Gosnell? Have you heard about what's going on right now in Philadelphia? Have you heard what we're doing as a nation to our babies? This nation that's called by the name of the Lord? Plug your ears if you're too sensitive to these things. It says the defense attorney for late-term abortionist, Dr. Kermit Gosnell, who is on trial for murdering babies who survived abortions, told a Philadelphia court today that it is ludicrous to claim that a baby is born alive because it moves one time without any other movement. The judge in the case today threw out three of the eight murder charges against Gosnell. If we're going 
in to, if we are going in this room to say a baby is born alive because it moves one time without any further movement, that is ludicrous, defense attorney Jack Mahone uh, McMahon said. Although three of the murder charges were dismissed, Gosnell still faces five other murder charges and other criminal charges in the case. Now listen, and again, if you can't handle, please close your ears, but I'm going to read it because you need to hear it. Philadelphia Common Pleas Court Jeffrey P. Meinhardt granted judgment of acquittal for the first-degree murder charges of three babies in the case. According to the grand jury report, baby C was moving and breathing for 20 minutes before an assistant came in and cut the spinal cord just the way she had seen Gosnell do it so many times. He goes on to talk about the procedure that was commonly done. It says, during her testimony, she said that cutting the necks of babies born alive during abortions procedures was standard procedure at Women's Medical Society, Gosnell's abortion clinic in West Philadelphia, to, quote, ensure fetal demise. It's sick. It's sickening what's happening. And you say, yeah, but it's just one isolated case. Oh, yeah? I suggest to you it's just the tip of the iceberg. And what's worse, what's more, this is also from uh, today's newspaper. This is, uh, I don't know, take this and do with it what you will. It says, amid new concerns about the brutality of illegal forms of abortions, President Obama plans to deliver the keynote address at Planned Parenthood Federation of America's annual fundraising dinner Thursday. That's tomorrow. The theme of the dinner to be held in Washington is a time for care. Organizers announced, it goes on to say this, he understands that access to birth control and preventative health care are economic issues for women and their families. Listen, did you hear that? What was going on in Deuteronomy 28? What was the warning? Listen, because of the difficulty of the days you'll eat your children because that's the way to deal with the economic listen it's the same thing we're doing it in our borders in our nation i say all of that to say this is that as a country as a nation should the lord tarry we're in big trouble we're in big trouble and what this country needs right now is not new leadership not political reformation not someone to come in and legislate morality what we need is a Holy Ghost revival, people on their knees, repenting and weeping in sackcloth and ashes and crying out to God for mercy because we've turned our backs on him and we've forsaken him. That's what our country needs right now. And short of that, we're headed to the same demise in the fullness of what is written in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now the good news is, if you're a child of God here tonight, He knows how, the Bible says, to preserve and to save the ungodly from those type, or the godly, sorry, from those type of things. But we need to wake up. We're in big trouble as a nation. Ah, I knew this would happen. I prayed in Jesus' name that God would stop the clock. Can I, can I, listen, I can't make promises. Can I take five more minutes? And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bother. I'll make it up to you. I'll give you five minutes somewhere. I will. But I think if I leave you here, I, I didn't get it. I, I didn't finish. I have to finish this. And you can write letters and... You say, there's one more thing that's bothering me about this, this Bible study. It's not, yeah, this is bad. I mean, this is heavy. You, you, you promised and you delivered it. This is tough. It's tough to hear. Tough, 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 tough. But there's one more thing bothering me even more than that. And here's what it is. Nick, as you read the list of curses that way too closely resembles my life, you go through those things. And I know that that's the extreme, but I can relate to those sentiments. I can relate to those emotions, feeling that way. What gives? Am I cursed? Because I feel like I'm cursed. I look at my life and what's going on. I see the blessings, Mount Gerizim, and I hear the curses. And my life, quite frankly, it looks more like Mount Ebal, the cursing, than it does the blessing. 
And I look at you, you're up there and you're, 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 you, know, you, you seem happy and you're talking about the Bible and, and, and I hear Bobby talking about how God's been with them and he's faithful and, and I know other brothers and sisters that are doing well in, in their walk, but that's just not my reality. What gives? Is it that, that some people are just blessed and, and other people are just cursed? Could it be that I just kind of got saved by accident? That, that I, you know, I, I made the commitment, I raised my hand, but, but it's just not, it didn't take, it's not happening for me because I, I don't sense this blessing in my life. Can I tell you something? You're not alone and you're right on schedule. I, I remembered this and I printed it up again as I um, was preparing this message. This is from about uh, seven or eight years ago. And this is a personal journal entry of mine that I wrote. I wrote this um, and, and it's somewhat edited just because I don't want to, you know, disclose everything that you could ever hate me for um, in this setting. But I, but I want to read this to you because I, I, I just have a feeling that there's some of you here that, you know, you're, you, this is, this, there's a check engine light on for you right now. So listen, just listen to this. It won't take long. And, and, and again, this is a journal entry. This is, you know, I, I wouldn't say this. I wouldn't write this as an article or something, but this is just for me. I, I'm an ordained pastor. And I'm in the process of planting a church. I have a story as to why, I'm do, why I am where I am doing what I am. I have scripture that I have believed God has given me to get me here and more to keep me here. I, I know the Bible. I don't speak proudly, but to openly describe my circumstance. I have a memory for scripture, theology, doctrine, a quick answer for error, and an ability to communicate the things concerning the word and the faith. But do I have a life that is in demonstration of the spirit and power? Is there a presence of the Spirit about me that would cause weary souls to look and to say, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? For if some could truly know where I dwell, it would be in Bunyan's slough of despond, or the cage in Doubting Castle, or under the rod of giant despair, or in the very valley of the shadow of death itself, where it is said that none live there. I have taught many times about the Spirit-filled life, passionately, persuasively, and yet, Have I ever been able to show it to any? Or have the hearers ever inquired after such a life? Paul would say, teaching and showing. I've confided in some that I fear I lack this power, but they draw back in disbelief that I'm fooling myself. They only see the outward. There is no closet iniquity or unconfessed sin. Neither do I seek to justify myself before God or men. I am laden with filth. I have asked God to fill me, transform me, form Christ in me. But he seems to not hear. His presence is withdrawn and I find no audience with him. Have I grieved his spirit, deceived myself concerning my standing in him? Am I completely out of his will? How do I get back in? Will he yet show himself to me? Will he use my life? At best, I feel as though I have an Old Testament relationship with God only sensing him after a certain time of laborious prayer or service, never arising with a sense of his nearness. Like his spirit only comes upon me for specific times of service and then is gone. There is no abiding light. I have prayed, been prayed for, but I feel as though I am under some curse. Is there any remedy? Now, I share that with you, not because I want you to pity me. That's not the point at all. Here's why I share that with you. Because if I was sitting in this service that seven or eight years ago, in that season of my life, and I heard this study, I would leave with the sense, I am cursed. And as you heard from my own heart to say, this is where I'm at. I'm in the curse. I'm on Mount Ebal. My life reflects the curse of God being upon it. Now, If you ask me where I would place my life categorically today in light of those things, I would say very definitely my life is on Mount Gerizim. The situation, the story, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart and in my life, the things that he has done, the grace that he has given, the blessing that he has bestowed upon me, I would say very definitely without any reservation at all that I truly, assuredly live upon Mount Gerizim, the Mount of his blessing. You say, well, that's great for you. No, here's the point. It's good for you. Because here's, here's what it is. Here's what I realize now that I couldn't see then. 
is that in order for me to have what I have in him now, I had to go through what I went through then. The temporalness of that suffering was preparing me for the ability to experience him the way that he ultimately designed and designated. And so here's hope for you if tonight you're here and you're saying, I feel like my life is cursed. No, you're not cursed. You're blessed. And he is preparing you for what it is that he's doing for you, what his plan is for your life in your life. But it often leads through the valley and it's necessary and it's good. You could, however, also be tonight in that position because perhaps you have thrown the counsel of God behind your back. You've said, I will not have this man rule over me. And you've thought, I can beat the odds against sin. And you are reaping the consequences of it. There's good news for you too. And we are almost done. I'm in the landing. The landing gear's out. It's coming down. Here comes the plane. Here's the good news. The curses were pronounced from Mount Ebal. And in plain sight and in plain reach to those who were upon that mountain proclaiming that curse, upon that mountain there was an altar. It was not put upon Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. It was put upon Mount Ebal, where the curse was. And for any person who will put their faith in Jesus Christ, the altar signifies the cross. That if you will but turn and put your eyes back upon Jesus, if you will but set your life back in the way of understanding that leads to life, you will find there a sacrifice that was made for you and for me and for all that would call upon him that will immediately wash away the rebellion of sin and put you in the place of his favor and his blessing. That's the glory of the new covenant. Amen? If you turn, it's so simple. If you turn, if you walk away, if you think, I don't need him, curse. If you return, if you obey, if you do what's right, what you will find in him, such satisfaction, such life, in Jesus' name. The worship team can come. I am so, 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 so sorry. Kill the recording.